This podcast is sponsored by Australian Christian College, a network of schools committed to student wellbeing, character development and academic improvement. Welcome to The Inspiration Project, where well-known Christians share their stories to inspire young people in their faith and life. Here's your host, Brendan Corr. Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Inspiration Project, conversations with people who have found success in life and brought their faith along on the journey. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be talking with somebody that I know you will recognize uh, this name and be familiar with some of the work that uh, this individual has been able to achieve in her life and bless others with. Darlene Check, it's delightful to welcome you to the Inspiration Project. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm really good. Really good. Loving life on the Central Coast. Central Coast. Locked down like you guys are, but it's okay. It's yeah. all good. God's own country, they tell me, up that way. Not that he has oh any Oh, my favorites. word. <laughs> yeah, it's really stunning. So, Darlene, how long have you been up on the Central Coast? We are coming up for year 11, actually. 11th boy. So, sorry? Feels like home now? Absolutely does. Yeah, my husband says his only regret is that we didn't do it sooner. <laughs> you know, I hear that from people that make the migration, that it's, it's yeah. they wish they'd gotten on early in life. So, uh, yeah, all blessings. No, we're doing really well. Let's enjoy that space. Darlene, you, you are most known by the people that will be listening to our podcast as somebody that is was part of the pioneering of a, a new wave of Christian worship. Um, we'd love to hear a little bit about how you ended up in that sort of a, a, a position. <laughs> was it something that you set out as as a, a little person to say, you know, I want to succeed in music? What was the the point at which that might have become a reality for you? But let me take you back to to school. What sort of things were, were what was life like for you as a student trying to think about your future? Yeah, well, it was interesting. When I was at school, I was actually on a weekly television program in Queensland. So school became, um, you know, we had tutors to help us through when we were really busy. And, you know, then for me, actually, I just loved art and music and science, bit of math. I tend to actually, I still enjoy a good, good bit of math. Um, and, you know, I, I actually didn't know in, in my era in Queensland, I didn't know anyone who went to university. University was for people who had a lot of money and, you know, we didn't have that option then. And so I, I just kept working, singing, doing jingles, studying music. And I, you know, I kind of found out fairly early that I just loved not just singing, but I loved music. Mm. You know, and then when I became a Christian at 15, um, you know, things really changed for me because I had to kind of unlearn how to perform mm. so that I could step into that space of worship where there's no performance necessary. Yeah. You know, so it was um, it was an interesting, you know, schooling yeah. education pathway for me. Yeah, I, I want to come back to that and hear a bit what what it means for you to give release to your heart in worship that that you do yeah but did, did you come from a musical family was that 
something that was inherent surrounding your environment? Is it genetic, trained? Where, where is your love of music stem? Yeah, probably both. Both my mother and father sang. They actually met in a choir. So, you know, they both loved to sing. My father did a album when he was probably 18 or 19. So um, pioneers, you know, my grandparents grew up in church and my grandmother always played the organ in church. So I actually still have her organ at our home. So, um, yeah, music flows right through and music within the church flows through as well although it wasn't so experiential, mm. you know, for me until I was older. Mm. So you, you you grew up singing around the local piano or the, the house piano and, and yeah. uh, knowing that music was going to be part of your future. Yeah. When and, you- and I would pay, I was paid full time to sing since I was 10. Really? So being on this children's television show when I was a child, I had to sing in the studio eight songs a week learn them. Wow. Um, so, I mean, that was incredible training. And, you know, I said my schooling did suffer, but it was incredible training for me to be, I was always put in the studio with three great singers. They were called the Doggy Trio or Quartet, maybe there was four of them. But anyway, they would put me in there as mm. the child voice mm. to make it sound younger. Mm. And so I was just schooled in studio, singing, harmonies, excellence, fast. You know, that that was how I grew up every weekend um, for six years. So the, the so, work in the studio <laughs> was concentrated into weekend time. You're trying to do school yes. on a Friday yes. and then working what, eight weekends a weekend. Mm-hmm. That's a very heavy mm-hmm. schedule for a little person. It really was. And we did a lot of dancing as well. So yeah. But you know, my mum, she she was always, you'll be right. You can do it. If you love it, it'll be fine. So, you know, she never kind of put up with any whinging. And, and you, <laughs> she good Aussie mum. Did you love it, Darlene? Was it was it something I that, loved it? Yeah. The weekend better than the weekdays. Oh yeah. I loved it. I mean, I missed my friends, you know, and I think any if you talk to any child who who grows up kind of in some aspect of, um, you know, intense learning, whether they have a gift in some area, you know, that's often very common. You know, you don't get to do all the kids' birthday parties and don't get to do all those things. But, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a cost always yes. to anything if you want to bring excellence to it. There's always going to be a cost, you know. So I, I always had a choice. My parents, you know, they're like, if you don't want to do this, that's fine. Um, but I just loved it. I want to come back at some stage and, and talk to you a bit about what that, what those foundational lessons that you, those life lessons, yeah. about if you yeah. want something excellent, it's going to come at some sort of a cost and, and explore with you. What has that meant for the excellence that you were able to achieve with some of your Christian music? Yeah. Does it resonate? But let, let's put pause on that thought. because I, Okay. I, pause cut back to you to the the idea of of you mentioned you became a christian at 15 so clearly mm-hmm. you're, you're part of a church a churched family that you you're familiar with church music and church life what happened at 15 that made a difference for you 
So the few years before that, my parents got divorced, wandered away from faith. It wasn't, you know, it was like a crisis in my family. I moved out of home. Um, It was a messy, messy time. And then my father rededicated his life to the Lord and found himself in a church in Queensland and they had a youth program on Friday nights. Mm. So he came, swung by where I was living and said, I'm taking you to youth. And that was it. I went that night. I got radically saved, born again, um, radically. You know, I literally, that old to new, Yeah, it's literally how it was. Even at 15, like I'd had a background of knowing about faith. I'd had always had a heart that was very hungry for prayer and for nearness to God. It was always like a softness in me, but I never had any relationship with God. Yeah. Um, and so this changed everything for me. It even changed like I, after a little while, I stopped singing secular songs you know, even at so, such a young age, when I think about it now, I think it was so gutsy. I think I was 16 and I went to the people at Channel 9 who employed me and said, I don't want to do this anymore, you know, like a little old woman, and um, and tried to learn what worship was. Wow. You know, I, I, I think I cried for three years in worship. You know, I just couldn't, I couldn't sing. I just would weep at the presence of God and it took a long time for me to find my voice in just not leading worship, but just singing worship. Yeah. And um, it was just God doing a deep work in my heart. That's for sure. So the, you must've been on a trajectory for a solid career in secular music and secular entertainment. When you're 13, 14, that was where things were heading. You have, yeah. have an agent, somebody that's paving the way and, yeah next steps we were always in the you know the like now it's called the tv week like you know we were always in those magazines what are these kids doing this week you know it's that kind of um in those days it was you know when i went to church people knew who i was Mm. so Um, young talent time sort of yeah well we had the same producers and it was produced in queensland by those same people so it was a funny I still can't believe that's how I grew up. But I see now that how God prepares us, Mm. you know, in advance. He prepares everything is not wasted in his plan, Yeah, you know. And so then, you know, when I became a Christian, I straight away started arranging choirs and harmonies and because that's how I'd grown up, being trained by the best of the best in, in the industry. So, you know, I would lead all sorts of vocal arrangements because that was my skill and I still love it to this day. It's like I love being in the back, mm. doing making people sound better. <laughs> it's just what I love to do. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I wonder, Darlene, uh, there must have been some vested interest in your career from other people. You know, it's not, not just yours that there were a expectations and others who were um, feeling a role to shape what your future might have been and what their future Mm -hmm. with you might have been yeah what sort of response did they give when you as a 15 year old came and said 
I think there's some change that needs to happen. Did you get? I think because I was so young, um, and because my mum was, you know, present, it it was actually fine. You know, I mean, (laughs) I think my poor mum was waiting for me to get a real job, probably still. (laughs) You know, because she loved it. She loved everything that went with it and she was so supportive and she still is but you know it it was probably a little bit disappointing um at that stage but you know I I also was quite a broken girl Mm. I think through that divorce experience Mm. being the eldest um in those days it you know the, the judge asked me where the children should live wow your, um, your siblings, my siblings, you know, and I'm like, well, I guess the oldest better go with dad and the youngest with mum. Like, I it was a lot to put on That's amazing a child, and so I, I grew up so quickly and I felt like I couldn't please anybody. Mm. So I ended up becoming, you know, just unhealthy with my eating. Mm. Um, starving myself, doing all those things that, you know, young women in particular can do when they feel out of control and they're trying to control something in their emotional health. Yeah. And it was from that place that I became a Christian. Yeah. You know, so I'm sure there was some level of, oh, we're sad that she's not singing like she was, but there was probably also a great level of relief because I started to get some counsel and work through some of those really deep identity issues mm. that I took on myself. It's like I I blamed myself for a lot of things that were going on in my family. Yeah. And which is, you know, I found out later is very normal as eldest children. We take on so much responsibility. But my um, yeah, I needed some help and I, I was a desperate desperate girl at 15 I was really broken Mm. living out of home renting a little room at the back of a single mum's house and um yeah thank god he met me yeah still with the trappings of success you're still involved in yeah yeah but messy real messy not glitzy and not glamorous yeah yeah the the things you're describing uh darlene about what you're carrying those those um sense of responsibilities and those burdens of guilt i suppose and in some respects was that part of the transformation old to new that you described the radical shift that happened for you Um, definitely when you came to christ yeah just tell me tell me what what was the new that replaced all of that yeah it was I can say it clearly because it's impacted me from that day till this Mm. is I had a revelation of the unconditional love of God. Wonderful. It's the only way I can describe it that through all my faults, sin, doubt, good, bad, the ugly, that the unconditional love of God was coming after me. (laughs) And I um I got overwhelmed by it. I I'll never forget the night. Just me and another person responded to that altar call that night, and just every day 
uh, for months after, I just wept and wept every time I read the word. And the youth pastor, he started me in the book of John. And, you know, I got some prayer ministry and some counsel and, you know, because the church knew who I was and it just, you know, that's why I love the church. A lot of people beat up on the church, but the church for me became my family. Yeah. They welcomed me and didn't judge me. They didn't um, pigeonhole me. They just loved me and discipled me. And I'll always be grateful. You know, interestingly, the two women that were appointed to me to disciple me was the music minister and the choir director. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And they're both, one of them is with Jesus now, but the other one, you know, she is just a rocking great grandma and yeah I'm ever grateful to God for them so what a beautiful thing that this church could could see beyond yeah. what the public image might have been yeah not elevated you onto a pedestal of celebrity yeah. but saw the the young girl that needed help and needed reaching and needed love yeah yeah I'm so grateful connect you directly to your relationship with Jesus, but also be a vessel yeah. through their own care of, the, of that yeah. love. What yeah. a beautiful story. You mentioned yeah. for the first three years you you could only respond to worship, that it was yeah. a, a vehicle of bringing you into the presence of God. I'm yeah. sure that that is still the case, but when, when did it, you said finding your voice, when did that sort of, how did that happen that you began to feel you could leave your natural talents into that yeah. sort of space of, uh, of worship. Yeah. Well, again, through our youth pastor, he said, why don't we put a band together and start doing ministry in high schools? So, and that's how I met my husband. He was drumming in the band. Um, so I started singing, not so much worship, but there were more um, songs, you know, um, that tell stories, yeah. you know, and that, that became the vehicle of communication for me. Mm. I could kind of sing, I could tell a story through, you know, they're all stories of deliverance and forgiveness through Christ. And um, there were some great songs around that time that were like that. There's less of that now, mm. um, and, but there's still a place for it for sure. And so we'd go and with the preacher, with our youth pastor, and, you know, we'd sing and the kids would listen and then he'd just share for 10 minutes and kids would give their lives to Christ. And it was awesome. And then as I became more and more confident, I got more involved in the worship side of church. Yeah. And, um, and that, that was just amazing. The other thing for me, I will say that I also felt, when I, if I was going to lead worship, like, who am I? Yeah. Like, I can't do that. I, I don't have, you know, I'm too much of a sinner. <laughs> so I just used to think I'm just too gross. I'm too broken. I can't do that. And, mm. again, it took a lot of discipleship and learning the word of God that God wasn't after my performance. Yeah. He was after me. And, you know, he said to me clearly one day, you're not for sale. Yeah, You've already been bought with a price. That's good. So let it go and let me use you. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so and, the, 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 you know, so that process yeah. 
So your, your growth into that space was, was not a, a sense of now I have acquired enough spiritual maturity or enough yeah. theology that I'm now yeah. eligible to take this microphone and, and take yeah. this lead and have this voice. It was a, a deepening understanding that in spite of yourself, in spite yeah. of limitations. And, and you know, I didn't lead worship until we moved to Sydney mm. um, and we were involved in a little church, Hills Christian Life Centre, through a series of miracles, and I won't go into that, but there was only a couple of hundred, 180 people in the church mm. and I was involved in the choir, leading the choir. That's what I loved. And Brian um, had asked me to lead worship and I had said no so many times, just like no way, no way. And one day there was no other worship leader and he was leading worship and he just walked off the platform and gave me that look like do it in the middle of a service. Mm. And that's how I started leading worship. Wow, that's incredible. (laughs) I know, right? Because I just kept saying nope. Nope, I can't do that. It's too much responsibility. So even though you knew you were talented, you had the the voice, you had the musical skills to do that, the the sense of still needing God to touch that, yeah. want that in that sort of yeah. space. And and did yeah. did he meet you? Did God meet you in that moment, Darlene, when you took that microphone and you stepped in? Was God there with you? Oh, <laughs> undoubtedly. <laughs> I remember the first thing I said to everyone, just shut your eyes. <laughs> and I just started singing. I, I mean, yeah, when I think about those days and, you know, I, I literally was doing it because my pastor insisted that I did. Mm. There was nothing about me wanting it mm. because, as I said, I love arranging vocals. That's what I love to do. And... Um, even when we put out that first album, um, oh, what was it called? Anyway, I think it was Power of Your Love maybe, and it, America, it went everywhere. And I'm the first female worship leader to do that in that way in America. Mm. And we had phone calls, people getting all upset because they were meant to be the first. And I'm like... <laughs> I didn't want this. Have it. <laughs> I'm trying to get out of it. But the more I read my Bible, the more I see that all these Mo- um, these leaders like Moses and, you know, the stuttering leader and, mm. and David who, you know, didn't even get qualified for the lineup. And mm. I look at who the Bible picks and I'm yeah. like, okay, so yeah. I'm in good company. Amen. <laughs> I understand what you're saying about that. <laughs> Even with all of the talent that you know God had blessed you with, that it was that it was still needed him, his release and his anointing to to bring that forward. Yeah, and and it is that you know we can have all the talent in the world, but actually the Bible, when it comes to worship, the Bible says that actually, if if it's not like overshadowed by the the glory and the the kindness of God, it's noise. Mm. In Amos, it says, away with your songs. Mm. Just says like, let's get back to justice. And it's it's confronting the integrity mm. of worship. Mm. It's like, don't bring me the performance. 
without a heart after God. And and I think that's the thing we've always got to remember when it comes to serving God. He's not looking for perfection in talent and gifting. He gave us everything we need for our calling. But what he does ask is that our hearts are after him. And and I think that's where you kind of have to, it, it requires a humility of, just knowing that if God doesn't come through, mm. this is just going to be noise. Mm. It might be beautiful noise, but it's just going to be noise. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I've always been very aware of that. Uh, I want to, this might be the time to circle back to a thought that I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. The lesson that you learned young in life, that if you're going to do something excellently, you had mm-hmm. to work hard. You had to really hone. Yeah those kind the craft the craft of that yeah does is that contradictory to god just wants whatever you've got he just the, the simplicity the the mistakes the errors the failings that's good enough Where, how do you reconcile those yeah. senses of i want to do this excellently yeah they're going to take work and it's going to take effort and i've got to practice and rehearse and versus yeah the spontaneity and the freedom and the simplicity yeah yeah i actually don't think it's contradictory at all i think that um you know when we're talking about bringing an offering or Mm -hmm. bringing anything to the lord like even if you look at cain and abel the first fight in the bible genesis 4 is about an offering Mm -hmm. it's about worship Mm -hmm. you know and and in there it's like the the pleasing thing was about the one who brought it with a heart after God. And it's like right throughout the Bible you see that. But there's this, there's this defining moment. It's at the end of, might be Second Kings. Well, anyway, Aranua, there's a King Aranua, who, um, Aranua who's trying to help David bring an offering, mm-hmm. right, that it actually says, he says to David, let me help you bring it because it will seem good mm. to the people. But mm. he's like, I'll, I'll do the work. You just come and take the glory. And David says something in there that I reckon is like a defining line. And he says, I will not bring before my king that which costs me nothing. Amen. So it's it's saying, God, I'm going to bring you my best. Hey, hey. I'm not going to be sloppy in my pursuit or fellowship of Jesus. I'm not going to be sloppy with it. But more than that, he's asking us, he wants wants all of it. He wants a life laid down. Mm. You know, so I say to our worship teams, you know, practice and get the songs as excellent as we can. Have a rehearsal, do the work mm. so that when it's time to lead others in worship, there's a confidence. You've removed all the distractions. There's a flow. But if you don't have the, you know, excellence of skill in the bank, mm. it's very hard then to let it all go to flow together. Yeah. You know, so I, I do think that... um. You know, excellence, if you look at the 
tabernacle and what was required to build a, a house worthy yes. um, of our king, all the detail that went into it was so excellent. Yes. And then overriding it all, God keeps saying to all of them, I'm, I'm looking at your heart. Come yeah. on, don't let this be works. Yeah. Don't strive for me. Yeah. Receive me and let all of this flow out of a heart that is after me. That's beautiful. Yeah. A man after God's own heart. You know, David, in all of his frailty, that's actually what God calls him. He sees through all the nonsense mm. and he still says, you're a man after my own heart. I mean, that's astounding. Beautiful. Yeah, darling, that's a, that's a lovely example. And, and I think you're right that in that sense, you have reconciled those two concepts of you give your best so that you're not concentrating on the chord sequence or where things are going to be. You're able to concentrate fully on the object of your work. Yeah. Yeah. The rest is solid and it gives you a confidence to just let it all go. Yeah, that's great. Because I it's like I know the basics. Mm. Now we can flow mm. and just have our ears tuned to heaven. Beautiful. Rather than worrying about yeah. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> you kind of miss the whole point if you're doing that. That's good. Darling, you've been describing this moment, you unexpected opportunity, invitation, instruction to come and step up and, and lead this, this work yeah. at this little church that you're involved in. It's, yeah. it's not all that long and you find that you, you're part of a, a team that God seems to be using in a very um, significant way, Jeff Bullock and these others who become the, the go-to names on yeah. Christian music. What yeah. was it like at that time when you you're this fledgling little group and you know that God has assembled some extraordinary talent and that He's doing something maybe that you hadn't expected or hadn't planned? What what was life like to be part of that startup? Yeah, look, it was I think one of the saving graces for us all was that we were in Australia. Mm because it was really the American church first, you know, then the rest of the world followed, but that American church went, oh, what is this? Mm. You know, and, and they kept flying, you know, from the States into our church. And often I'd go out just to lead a service and the whole, there'd be all record executives and, all, and I'm like, well, what is going on people? Let's just worship Jesus. Like, it was it was wild, but we lived in Australia, and and I can see the kindness of God in that mm. because we were far enough away to just keep on keeping on, yeah. make, building the church, yeah. loving God, loving people, being missional in our intent, being disciples, mm. not not celebrities. Yeah, that's good. And and it. You know, we had to become more and more intentional as, as the years went on. But um, there were some wonderful, just miraculous years. Mm. Hard times, I imagine, working hard, working long, inventing things that hadn't happened before and yeah. running risks. I know, I'm producing albums and I'm like, how do you, how do, you do this? <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> having babies, yeah. staying up all hours, you know, getting albums over timelines and, oh, it was, it was hard. Mm. It was hard. But, you know, there was a, a beautiful grace Amen. on our team. We had a beautiful team, you know, and there's there's still so many beautiful things happening within that team. And I, like just, yeah, it's funny, you know, when you're doing something with a bunch of people and you, you're shoulder to shoulder yeah, um, and you've got good leadership, uh, that that is one of life's highlights. I think if you're doing it on your own, and trying to manufacture things and just work, work, work. That would be my picture of hell. (laughs) I can't do that, but I'm a team girl. Yeah. You know, and so that's what it was like. That's what it is like still now for us in ministry. We only want to do it with team, shoulder to shoulder. Yeah, that's lovely. Darlene, I'm sure that you've been asked this many times and I don't want to rehash something that is familiar to you, but where does a good song come from? <laughs> well, I can tell you where they start. Yeah. Um, they, they start with some sort of revelation, like you've got to have something to say. And I think a worship or a song of praise, you know, they come out of this, either you've been in the word or you've been in worship or something has just sparked that, um, writer within you and you're like that has to be said like I need to pray that or I need to say that mm. so I think that's the first thing you you've got to have something that needs to be communicated through song you know I, I mean the hard part of writing is finishing yeah right. it's not starting yeah. <laughs> you know I think every all the students at your school who are songwriters, they'll all have lots of bits and pieces mm. sitting here and there. And, you know, the easy part is starting. Great. that I think that's a really good chorus. But then you've got to do the work. Where to next? You've got to be disciplined to do the work and finish the mm. song. Mm. Then you've got to be good at presenting the song to others for critique. Mm. And be resilient enough in your identity to receive it, mm. apply it, you know, and then change things if necessary, mm. you know, and then make that song into the best song it can be. Yeah. So the 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 idea of the the spark that gives the spark the initial um, momentum impetus. Yeah. Then the discipline to refine it, work it, come back to it, and yeah. and yeah. Oh, those skills that you can develop. You need both, is what you're telling me. Yeah. The the living yeah. relationship that allows yeah. the spark of revelation in your heart, your spirit, your mind. Yeah. And the skills to to bring that to something that is the excellent offering of praise. Yeah. You want to- and look, some I uh, I think you. You got to, when it comes to worship, so, you know, I'm very particular when I say that. I'm not talking about songs that you might write for a project or, you know, something that's maybe you're a little bit more disconnected to. But when we're writing worship and praise, we're writing prayers. Amen. Right? So, and 
theologically sound prayers, hopefully, mm. <laughs> which is why you also need others to bounce your lyric content off because, you know, worship songs, they actually become signposts historically of where the church has been yes. or where you have been in God. And, you know, it's really important if you're going to put these songs in the mouths of someone else that we get the theology right. Amen. You know, and there are some early songs in Hillsong where I look back and I'm like, oh, I don't think that's in the Bible. (laughs) But um, (laughs) we we were just having a go. And and you can tell that the lyrical content gets stronger as we got stronger, you know. Yeah. Which is kind of the fun. It's growth, right? We all have to grow. Yeah, that's great. You, you've, you've spoken a little bit about the need to accept criticism and to, to mm-hmm. respond in a positive way to that. Um, you'd also be conscious that there were probably large sections of the Christian church who were concerned about the direction that you were part of in taking Christian worship and Christian music and some yeah. of that conversation you've just been making. How, how did... How did you respond to that at the time? What, what was that doing for you, for your team that were involved in that space? Yeah. I mean, you end up having to block out the critics who aren't walking it out with you. Mm. You know, like I always say, come and you can criticise all you want as long as you're going to walk this with me. Mm right, and we'll work it out together. But if you're going to sit on the outside and point the finger, Mm. then I actually am not going to listen because we don't have any relational context. And, um, (laughs) you know, I'm a relationship. I love relationships. So, you know, for example, there was one sector of the church in our nation who started publicly criticising our songs. And I'm like, hang on, the Bible says to talk to your brother or sister, First, yeah, right? This is, yeah. you're out of line, people. So I rang the head of the church mm. and said, I want to have lunch with you. Mm. I want to talk about this. Tell me why. We, I know we've got stuff to learn. Tell me where this is coming from. And so he graciously, he's a lot older, he said, sure thing. So we went and sat for hours and talked theology. I wanted to hear his story, where he came from. He graciously heard mine. Um, And by the end of that, we had agreed that the public, you know, pointed finger was not helpful for the church at large. Good. And let's work on having open communication here. Yeah, good. You know, so that we can be stronger because actually the word of God says they, they, the world will know us by our love. Amen. And criticism with no understanding is so damaging. Yeah. You know, so I kind of went after some of the, (laughs) some of the relationships that I felt were really important to build the church, not our church, but the church. And um, that was ended up being a really special relationship for us. So That's wonderful. That is a wonderful thing. That's great. Yeah. Darlene, you're probably best known for a song. Shout to yep. What has it meant for you to carry that legacy of 
that moment, that beautiful, universal, effective song? Is it something that you still able to celebrate and you yeah. you feel that you, you want to be known for something new? How, how does that work for you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I certainly don't. Um, it's just part of the God story in my life. So there's nothing in me that's trying to separate from that. That, I mean, that season in our lives, you know, I'll never forget it. And writing that song and just holding it for quite a while and finally playing it to Jeff Bullock, who I made stand in the corner and turn his back to me because I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> and I'll be like, my Jesus, change it if you want to. I know it's not very good. My saviour. I did the whole song like that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and at the end he just turned around with tears in his eyes and says, that's one of the greatest songs I've heard and we're doing that this weekend. Yeah. I'm like, you can't, but it's awful. And he's like, he, that's where I was in myself. Mm. And he was just so encouraging. And we, that weekend we were having church um, at, at the, a, like a little stadium thing in Castle Hill and it was shut down that weekend. So we were in the Rose Hill race course <laughs> Um and we were like the church that followed the cloud for years because of a whole lot of things. And so church was there and I remember the speaker. We did, the church, we did that song over um, an offering. Like we didn't even do it in worship. We did it over an offering and people began standing up and just weeping and the guest speaker said, I don't know what that was, but that's going to go all around the world. Yeah, wow. And it was just one I can't take credit for it. Yeah. You know, it was, it's between Psalm 96 and Psalm 100. You know, Psalm 100 finishes with shout. Yeah. To shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth is actually how it starts. And, you know, so it's that prayer. It's a, it's just a simple prayer. Yeah. It's not a musical masterpiece. It's, it's a simple prayer. Yeah. And, yeah, before, like I got this phone call from this pastor, a very famous pastor in America who was calling me at church, and I just kept saying, no, you want to talk to my pastor, so I put them back through. And then Dad called back, no, I want to talk to you. And I'm like, no, you couldn't. I'll put you back through. They just, it was wild. They were weeks that were wild that turned into years that were wild. I, you know, getting a letter from the middle of nowhere, um, the most crazy story, a broken family in the middle of a hard part of Alaska. Wow. And like the song had been out just for a tiny little bit and I don't even know how it got there, but, you know, I was like, wow, this song is going around the world. And it's, it's like I sang it and then it left my life. Amazing. This is before Spotify and <laughs> yeah. it just was like that. Yeah. It just left my life. Yeah, and taken. Yeah. And ministered. And I, if I sing that song around, you know, when I'm traveling, it still ha has such an impact. Amen. And I was so surprised in the last Maverick City album, they use a line yeah. out of it 
in their first song, Martin Smith, who's a great friend of mine from Delirious, he rings me, he goes, do you know that Maverick City <laughs> have put our songs in their song? Yeah. And I'm like, really? Yeah. He's like, yeah, listen to this. And um, it was just crazy. I'm like, how can this be? I don't know. Are, are you happy the next generation of, of God-inspired songwriters are, are recognising the continuation of the spirit in in the lyrics and the worship and the intent? Oh, look, I, I am so passionate about the legacy of worship that it, you know, we, we got into, I, I think in the Western world, we definitely got into dangerous territory where it got a bit starry. Mm. And that's got nothing to do with what worship is all about. Yes. And you can see this new wave of Jesus chasers. Yes. Um, who are old and young. Yes. Who are passionate, who are, you know, we're all learning more yes. about what worship actually means and good theology of worship. And what I do love is that now rather than just the West, it's like now our influence is coming from Nigeria, Waymaker, our influence is coming through Ireland and some of the most amazing songs that are being birthed out of young people whose grandparents were in Welsh revivals and Mm -hmm. it's like this legacy of faith is stunning. You know, (laughs) India um Cambodia it's like you can we're all being impacted because of technology yeah it's like a more equitable understanding of of the you know the when the word says in in the earth every man woman and child they'll bow their knee to declare Jesus is Lord I feel like we're coming closer and closer to seeing the reality of that picture amen yeah that's yeah it's it's quite stunning yeah Darling, you've used some phrases in this conversation that I've really, uh, they've touched my heart. You spoke earlier about the songs that you were writing and um, that your team were writing, were putting prayers in the mouths of other people. And yeah. I it was such a beautiful expression, beautiful idea of what what we want to be able to hold those beautifully crafted poetic prayers that back in used to be part of the prayer book, I suppose, that people yeah, would, yeah. would use it in the same way to, for somebody that is gifted and, t- and anointed to put the words we want to say into a phrase and a, a, um, a harmony and melody that we can, we can use. And, and then just, you just talked about Jesus chases the new generation. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful yeah. phrase. Darlene, thank you for your time. We've spoken a little bit longer than probably we intended to. I hope, uh, <laughs> I hope our listeners are still with us. Uh, I've really appreciated this conversation so much. And uh, you're known as a worship leader. And I think beyond that, it's been lovely to see that you are a worshiper. And amen. I acknowledge that you've been doing that in this conversation, that you have mm. let the spirit. Thank you, friend. It's an honor. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your ministry. And we continue to pray that God will continue to open doors and to anoint the work that you do for me. Thank you, friends. You too.